Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Question number three before I turn it over to Carrie this morning. Hi, Vox. I'm confused. Nice to meet you, confused. I'm Vox. I have people telling me that a passion for God and loving him uh, does not ever go dry. I've been a believer all my life, yet I don't really get that on-fire feeling for serving God, nor do I really know what truly loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul looks like. I see people who share that they are madly in love with Jesus, but I just don't think I feel that same way. What confuses me is if love is an action word, and if it's something you choose every day, then is what I experience with God real love? Next. Do I love God the way I ought to? I've heard Mike compare the love of God to a love in marriage. The butterflies and intense passion fades away, and loving your spouse looks like sacrificial living daily. Then that is then is that how some of us relate to Christ? Another thought of mine is that this lack of emotional nearness is something they call the dark night of the soul. Could me not feeling this love be something I'm doing wrong? I just don't know. Thanks for bearing with my analytical brain. Okay. Jesus loves analytical brains. I love it. And I very much resonate with exactly the, the kind of train of thought that uh, you are running on uh, in this question. In other words, I, I do, as I've, as I've experienced love, um, there, there is this infatuation, there is this early passion, there is this incredible enthusiasm that, that kind of begins the journey. And then mature love looks a lot different from that. It has aspects of that still emotional high, but there's nothing, nothing that, that um, undergirds it. And Jesus even talks about how uh, when the, the gospel of Jesus is preached, there are some hearts that reject it outright. There are some hearts that accept it uh, in almost exuberant joy, but when trials come, right, the, 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 the growth that Jesus wants to do in them fades away because there was really no root to them. And so one of the things I, I think we hold up sometimes artificially is that a passion for God looks like um, this madly in love with Jesus. And by that, we mean some sort of emotional fixation, this sense of nearness and closeness. And I think there are seasons for that. And I think it is a beautiful and good thing. But I don't think you can build an entire relationship with Jesus on that anymore that you can build a relationship uh, like that with a spouse. I think that ultimately mature love looks like taking up your cross daily and following me. And when when the scriptures talk about loving with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that this is just a way of saying the totality of your being, there's nothing off limits. And of course, that includes emotions, but the emotions don't determine whether or not we're actually loving him any more than they determine whether or not I'm, I'm loving my wife uh, that day or not. What determines whether or not I'm loving is whether or not I act loving. It's not whether or not I feel loving, it's whether or not I act loving according to the scriptures. And so for us, there is a sense, and, and I do want to hold out, of course, the idea that this is a season in your life, that perhaps that nearness will come back. I don't I don't want to disregard that and, 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 and in some any way discourage you from trying for that. I just don't want that to be the only definition of maturity and mature love that we have, because I, I think there's a whole other range of what mature love looks like that isn't as emotion-based. And so I don't think you ever have to 
to apologize for your analytical brain. I think that is one of the ways God made you. And I think it's okay if you don't feel like the tinglys all the time like some other people do. The danger is when the tingly people elevate their tinglys to like the idea of maturity or the analytical people uh, elevate kind of their analytical ideas to maturity. And we, and we just want to say, you know, maturity can look a whole bunch of different ways. For you, it may not necessarily look like emotional closeness, although I think it includes that. It's got to be bigger. So my brothers and sisters, I don't know if that helped or hindered. Um, but there you have it, sports fans. Listen, you guys look incredible. It is a joy to see you all here this morning. Uh, I'm going to bring Carrie up on the stage, um, who is uh, my sister from another mister, and we're thrilled to have her back. She um, she just got back from uh, a speaking gig last night, and so here she is. Welcome, Carrie, everybody. Thank you so much. Hi, Mike. <laughs> okay, guys. I brought my big Bible. <laughs> One, Great job. the lettering's bigger. We've all learned the problem I've had. I've been experiencing problems in front of you of my vision. Two, I like this version. And three, I just feel like really spiritual holding this thing. I'm like, I am more spiritual than all of you because my Bible's bigger. Uh, hi, I'm, I love you guys. I've been here three weeks in a row. This is a new record. I am a Voxer. <laughs> Uh, I did just get to fly in last night, and I was telling um, some of the people earlier that I was at a conference this past weekend, or, or Friday and Saturday, and I said, crotch and crap. I'm not going to get asked back. Pretty sure. But I was like, if I was at Vox, I could say that. They wouldn't care. <laughs> they have other problems. <laughs> um, so I'm always surprised when people hire me, you know? I'm always like, have they listened to one of my videos? Um, I'm not sure. And this church was questioning it. Uh, hey, uh, I, I love you. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I say this every time I come here because I truly mean it. Uh, you can breathe. For the next hour, you can breathe. So I don't know what you came in here with, but um, I am a real proponent of breathing. You know, keeps you alive. Um, and I just don't think we breathe deep and with rest. We kind of always are, you know, here and and there's tension, and I just, I want for the next 30 minutes, that's adorable, 35, um, for you just to breathe, and for you just to go, whatever God wants for me today, um, I want to try to receive it, I want to hear it, I want to feel safe in this place, and you are safe in this place. Um, my, the message that I have today um, is not the easiest one, so uh, bear with me. Uh, because it's, it's hard. So some people write songs because that's their therapy. And I know, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough one today. Uh, I, write, I write messages for my therapy. And I just, there's been a lot of heaviness around me. There's been a lot of people that I love dearly that are going through really, really hard things. And I want to fix it. And I can't. I want to fix them, and I can't. And then to couple that with our world that feels like it's spinning out of control, and I want to fix that, and I feel like I can't. And in fact, I can't. Um, so I have to write messages like an artist, a musician writes songs. I write messages to help heal my heart, to go to the source that I think will be the only place that can give me some sort of sustenance to sit in and respond to. So. 
I'm going to um, let you know where that's coming from um, today. And I'd ask that you would be open to hearing what God has to share with you today. I went bungee jumping, and that was a stupid mistake. Um, I was dating a guy. This is not recent. Um, because I'm married, <laughs> and that would be a whole nother sermon. Um, I was dating a guy, and he was like one of those extreme sportsy guys, and like jumps out of planes, does all this stuff, and he was like, hey, let's go bungee jumping. And I'm like, okay, because when I date someone, like I become them. Not anymore, but I used to. Like I dated a gang member, and I was a gang member for like a couple weeks. Um, and La Familia, the La Familia gang. Anybody know it? No? Okay. I digress. So I decided I was going to become an extreme sports girl, and I'm going to bungee jump. I knew nothing about bungee jumping. I mean, I've seen it. I don't know. I didn't research it. I didn't know really what you do. I just knew that you climbed up something, you jumped off something, and you get a boyfriend at the end because we'll probably get married, so I should probably do what he enjoys doing. And so this guy, don't remember his name. We'll just call him George because everyone's George in my stories. Uh, I honestly don't remember his name. That's how short-lived this dating experience was. <laughs> because when you hear this story, you're going to realize we were not a fit. Uh, so you go and you get this little thing on. It looks like a diaper. Uh, you kind of put it on and it straps everywhere. Luckily, I was in my 20s, so I was wearing shorts and a crop top. It worked. Um, nowadays, it would it would not have been a good scene. He would have left running screaming. But at that time, I was 22 or something. I'm like, mm -hmm, I look good in this. So you go climb up these stairs. He's behind me. I'm talking about all my feelings and what our kids' names are going to be. Yeah, so anyway, and I'm climbing up there. I'm not even thinking about, you know, you kind of look at it from the bottom and you're like, that's not that high. It's not that big of a deal. People jump off that? Extreme nothing. You start climbing up the stairs. I'm not realizing what's going on because I'm very concerned about George behind me and what he's seeing. Um, so I'm, you know, hi, and how are you? And what, you know, what are your religious beliefs? And, you know, finding out all the important information and I get to the very top. And he's a gentleman. He's like, you go first. So, oh, okay, no problem. And I go to the edge and I'm like, oh, dear. I'm going to die here. This is 100%. I'm going to fall to my death. And then I started to think, no man is worth this. <laughs> but then there was part of me that's like, you better get it together. You know, like, don't be embarrassing. I have to jump. I'm committed. He already bought the ticket. I got to commit. I'm looking at the kid. I look at him and I look down here. And then I look at the kid, kid who's running the operation, like 15, <laughs> doesn't care about my life, doesn't, care, doesn't think I'm cute in this outfit. He is care, could carry left and he's all, Go ahead and jump when you're ready. And I'm like, I feel like there's things we need to talk about first. <laughs> I have feelings right now. I have emotions about this. I start asking about, like, has anyone, I literally said, has anybody ever died doing this? And he's like, not when I've been here. I'm like, not reassuring. When anybody else has been here, have they died? And, I, and I'm starting to think, you should have researched this, Carrie. You should have looked into this. How are the straps holding you? Where were these straps made? I want to know the manufacturer. How long has this guy been training to let people jump off this giant cliff? I should know this. Are you trained in this? Do you know CPR? What if I pass out? I feel like there's things I should have researched. Instead, I just stand there, no option. I can't get back down. Now there's a line of people down the stair, and it's like a thin, narrow stairway. You can't be like, excuse me, you know, I'm out. <laughs> excuse me. You can't. It's like you jump. There's no options. And I'm sitting there on the edge, and you can do two options. You can do the around your ankle. That's for insane asylum people. 
no, jump to my death this way. I'll be much more safe if you hook it here. <laughs> Somehow my thinking, that's safer. You jump, you die, or you don't. Like that's the option no matter where the straps are. So, so I, I hook in here. I stand to the edge of the platform because I can't. No one that is sane can look and jump to their death. You have to just kind of pretend it's not happening. And I stand there and I freeze. And I go, I can't do it. There's no, I cannot do this. I, I'm paralyzed. And, and the guy, the kid, the 15-year-old kid, he's looking and, and, I, and he goes, you got to jump. You know, he has just no care about my feelings. I feel like tears are starting to like come down the side, but I'm trying to be cute and cool at the same time. <laughs> um, it's fine. And, and he's whole, and I go, you're going to have to, oh no, I said, I can't jump. And he goes, then I'll have to push you. <laughs> That's what he said. And I was like, okay. That's the only way this is going to happen. So he grabs on to this area, lucky for him, and he grabs on to this area, and, 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 I, and I thought in my head, I, I'm not even kidding, I'm very dramatic, as you can tell. I'm very dramatic, and I thought in my head, I'm going to die, but I'm going to see Jesus. This is what I thought. I'm just going to see Jesus. I'm just going to go to heaven. And all of a sudden, my body went like that. And I just... I just like played dead. And I li- it's my dead body just laying there. I go, just, I'm going to see Jesus. It's just fine. Just throw me off. And the kid goes like this. Fake through me. He fake through me. I was ready to see Jesus' face. And he fake through me. And I fake punched him. I came back. I was like, I'm not even kidding right now. And he was like, oh. Because <laughs> he's 15. Everything is like, oh. <laughs> And he takes me, and he just lets me go. I remember nothing about the fall, because all I was thinking is, I'm done. I'm going to see Jesus. And I just, and that just pulls on you, you know. The thing just pulls on you, and you're, I'm like, oh, I lived. I get down, and people are like, my friends were down at the bottom, and they're like, what happened up there? You look like a dead body just flying through the thing. There was no, like, I was just like, I'm going to see Jesus. In that moment, as I'm on that level, that ledge, I literally was like, and I'm not even kidding, we're talking about perspective this morning, and I know this is a stretch, but for me, there was a perspective shift that had to change. Like in that moment, like there's no options here. I either fully surrender to it or I fight it all the way down. Either way, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to die either way, but until I got to get my mind right, I got to get a bright perspective here of like, if I go down, I'm going to see Jesus. That's where I had to be. You know what I'm saying in life? And so I know that's a stretch, but I had to make this illustration work because I needed to talk about my bungee jumping experience because I haven't shared that one yet. And I'm like, I need to get this out. I actually have some trauma over it. So this is therapeutic for me. I I look at, you know, you kind of look at some people in life and they come into your sphere and your circumstances and you see they're just going through tumultuous stuff. And yet there's like this underground peace they carry. They just have this strength about them. They're usually older people. (laughs) And they usually are ones that have gone through incredible stuff before. And they have this just incredible strength about them. And I go, how did they get that? How did they get there with that kind of... Uh, of stamina and strength and, and peace. And it's, it's not that they don't weep. It's not that they don't grieve. It's not that they're not present in the moment. They're so ever present in the moment. And yet in the midst of their present moment and, and in the midst of their grief and their pain, there is a strength about them. It's almost like in their weakness, they are strong. I started to think, 
I've been thinking about a dear friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, not just one, so, and she's not here, so don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, and, and I'm watching as a, a few of my friends are going through just tumultuous stuff. Where are you in this, God? How are you present in this? How can I offer to them words that will bring life? How can I minister to them? What can I do? Where are you actually? We have prayed and prayed and prayed for this to stop and it's not stopping. Are you not listening? And in fact, are you not listening? But now I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of angry at you. I'm going to be honest. I'm really angry at you for not stopping what's going on. And I have to go to the scriptures because I go, there has to be a reason. There has to be a way. There has to be some kind of um, offering you can give to me to help me understand how I can have peace in the midst of tragedy. I think about my dear brother, Paul. You know, Paul, we, all, we you know Paul. I mean, you've been in church for 0.2 seconds. You've heard of Paul, you know. He's like the, the good one, <laughs> He, he's, he's like consistent. He's, you know, he's not really prone to a lot of emotion. Peter, I love Peter. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I get you, Peter. Paul, he's just like, we got this going, you know. He does famous words like, or famous scriptures like um, Philippians 1, 21. I think it's, it's going to be on the screen, I think. But, but the, for, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Maybe it's not on there. <laughs> but you know it. And I think how this man has come to the point where he has faced off fear of death. To live is Christ, to die is gain. How do you get to that point? You need to understand where Paul is. Paul is not just some guy, and we know this to be true. He isn't just some guy that hasn't encountered great loss. This is a man who committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior and left everything. We know this because in Philippians 3, it's um, chapter, verse 4, it says, Although I myself might have considered even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, it's me. I've done everything that you can think of in the flesh. In fact, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's a big deal. I, I don't know about now, but apparently back then it was a big deal. We'll move on. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation. I am of the nation of Israel. So not only is he a man who's been circumcised, which is a big deal, but he is also from the nation of Israel. And then he says, in, on top of that, I'm not only from the nation of Israel, which is the profound nation. I am also from the tribe of Benjamin. So I am from the best nation and I am from the best tribe. I am also a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the top. As to the law, I am a Pharisee. I am the one in charge. People look to me for answers. I have gone through schooling. I have reached the top that you can reach in my nation, in my tribe, in my country. I'm him. And he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I was the one that held people accountable to Judaism, to the Jewish laws. I was the one. As to the righteousness which was in the law, I was found blameless. I obeyed every rule. Check any box, I was there. In fact, I wrote the boxes. And he says, but whatever these things were gained to me, those things I have counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, how did Paul get from saying, I don't even fear death, 
I don't even need what this world has to offer because I had it all and I lost it. All for the sake of Christ. Yeah, that's awesome. I love reading that verse. How did you get there actually? You know what I'm saying? He says here in uh, verse 10 in chapter 4. Now, now you need to understand the, the context of what's happening here. This is the book of Philippians. This is actually one of Paul's most kind of heartfelt letters to the church of Philippians, to Phil, in the church of Philippi. What is so cool about this, this is a side note, this is for free, but the Philippian church was actually started by women. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I just kind of like it. <laughs> he went down to the river and found um, Lydia and was like, oh, um, do you want to tire a church? And she was like, yes. And they started it. Okay, so anyway, so he started this church. This is one of his first churches. This church has been a real um, answer to prayer for him. They have helped him financially in the past. It says even a couple of times they have helped him financially. They have been there for him. It is a place where he feels at home. It's one of his, his first kind of rooted places. He loves the people of Philippians, of Philippi. And so he writes this letter to them and understand the context of where this has been written. Paul has now been in prison. He's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's been there for two years. And it might even have been a little longer. Scholars don't know exactly, but, it, but they for sure know it's been about two years. At this point, a guy named uh, Epaphroditus, 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 not really sure, because whoever would want that name, um, comes to him and brings him this gift. He brings him a gift, financial gift, and sweet aromas. That was a big deal back then. Don't bring me perfume. Bring me money. Um, but you know, that's what they bring him. And Paul is in prison, and he finally gets this gift, and he says here, so just, just understand the, the context of this. But I rejoice to the Lord greatly that now, at last, I love this. He's not the best at thank you letters. Um, you'll see. Uh, now at last you have revived your concern for me, meaning you haven't been around for a while. I've been in prison for two years, but I digress. Indeed, you were concerned for me before, but you just lacked opportunity for a while. <laughs> Don't you love that? They just kind of were like, hey, so listen, uh, thanks for finally bringing me a gift. Uh, I've waited a long time. I'm going to assume you had other things going on and you just lacked opportunity. I love that Paul just kind of sticks that in there because he's totally calling him out. Um, and then he says to them, and I love this verse, in verse 11, it says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You see, Epaphroditus brings him this gift and he says, Oh, I'm so glad you finally came to me. I don't know why you didn't come sooner, but I'm going to let that go. But I was already good. The other, another translation says, thank you for coming. I was already good. No, you weren't. You were in prison, buddy. I don't know if you know that, but you have legit chains on you for two years. You weren't good. He says, oh, man, I'm so glad you brought it, but I don't tell you this and this thank you from this. I'm so glad you brought it, but I don't write this to you because I was in need. I was already good. And then he says, I know, you see, how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, learned, put that in your brain. I won't make you say it like every other church makes you say it. But I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. And here's the verse, guys. For I can do all things 
through Christ, come on, anybody who gives me strength. I know you know it. So did uh, Evander Holyfield when he went and fought Lennox Lewis, and that didn't go so well. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe not. <laughs> you lost, you know. I know he did it with Mike Tyson, and he won when he wore that jacket. But then when he went and fought Lennox Lewis, yeah, not so good. I guess that verse didn't work for you. I see people taking this out of context constantly in their lives. I want to be rich. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, no. I'm going to get the A on that test. I didn't study, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want that girl, but I don't feel like paying for a date for her, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She ain't going to date you. You need to pay for a date, and you can't do all things through Christ. You need to show up or get out. Okay, that's not Jesus. That's you. You can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can't do all things. So what does this mean? If you look at the context of it and you actually study the Greek of it and how it's written, it's really more transcribed this way. I am strong for all things in him who empowers me. See the difference there? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Kind of takes the guts out of it if it's not in context. You see, I've learned to live with the little And I've learned to live with a lot. How many people do I know that have money and aren't content? Statistically, there's people in this room that are making six figures that are so unhappy. There are people who are sitting in this room that the tornado of life is spinning so rapidly. Their kids are out of control. Their marriage is out of control. Their body is out of control. What they're watching is out of control. And it's spiraling around them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's not like that. It is, I am strong in all things by him who empowers me. This isn't about Paul. This is about Jesus in Paul. This is about Paul understanding that there is nothing that can fill my heart like Jesus. Here's the problem. We put our expectations in a broken world. When that broken world falls apart in whatever that looks like, I lose my job, my kids fall apart, my marriage, my diagnosis that I got, and our expectation is that this broken world will somehow bring peace. When that something breaks, our expectations fall, so does our contentment, so does our perspective, and our life spirals out with it. Here's the deal. Stop expecting so much from a broken world and start expecting more from God. This is where your hope will be found. This is where contentment will be found. And it is so easy. You know, I don't stand here. Some of you don't know me and some of you know me too well. My husband, for one. I don't stand up here and you go, Carrie, gosh, you know, you just have a really strong personality. You just love Jesus like the guy that commented in this, the, 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 the question. You just are super passionate. I'm not super passionate because of my personality. I'm super passionate because I'm desperate. Because on paper, my life looks like a nightmare. I've walked in the suicide of my mom, getting off drug addiction, being in a ministry that fell apart because of my own broken choices of an affair. I don't stand up here because I got it all together or my life is perfect. No, I stand here because I have been so broken and I have lived with so little and I have also lived with so much and none of it filled me because my expectations We're in the brokenness of this world. It wasn't until I became desperate for Jesus to come in and help make me strong in all things 
by his strength, by his power, that it started to change the way I think. Did my circumstance change? No. My mom didn't miraculously rise from the grave. (laughs) I didn't miraculously step out of addiction and never have another kind of addiction problem. No. I didn't have fear just all of a sudden go away. I'm scared all the time. So how did Paul get to this place? How did he learn the secret? And this is part that you need to understand, that he didn't say, hey, I got it. I became in Jesus, and I got it. No, Paul, Paul said, I have learned this. So what has he learned? Philippians 4, verse 5 uh, says this. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Number six, be anxious for nothing. And I love how we say this all the time. Someone's hurting, we go, you know what? Be anxious for nothing. And they're like, I want to punch you. Like, I don't, I know that's not pastoral of me, but I want to throat punch you. There's not a period there. Grammar's important. There's a comma. Be anxious for nothing because he knows you're going to be anxious. He knows this. Statistically, anxiety, out the roof. Am I diagnosed with anxiety? No, I should diagnose you with fear. That produces anxiety. Welcome to the world. It says here, be anxious for nothing, comma, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We go, oh yeah, that's good. I'm going to pray for it to stop. What happens when it doesn't? He says, but with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. You know, here... Paul is in prison. He's been there for two years. There's a season where he was forgotten about. Nobody came. There was no money. There was no buddies. There was no Philippi. He was all by himself, in chains, in prison, alone. And yet he says, I am good. But somebody finally brought a gift. And here's what Paul was able to see, that in the midst of his incredible pain or in the midst of being shackled for doing no wrong, just telling people about Jesus, he didn't steal anything, he didn't hurt anybody, he was telling people about Jesus. He could have missed the very gift that was being put in front of him. You see, if his perspective was on his actual chains, he wouldn't have been able to even receive the gift. It would have been like, oh, okay, thanks, I don't know, but look at these chains I'm in. Oh. In one of the verses he says, it's not on there, but he says, but I have received everything you have brought to me in full, and I have abundance. I am supplied, and having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You ever been in those circumstances that are so hard, but because you have prayed for it to stop and it hasn't, you've missed the second part of verse 6, thanksgiving. Gratitude. How can I be grateful in the midst of these really painful things, Carrie? Because it's all you have. He says in verse 8 of chapter 4, Finally, brother, and we know this, we've heard it, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let my mind dwell on these things. 
This is what he's learned. He's not learned this because Paul is so great. He's learned this because Paul has got so much brokenness. This man has been abused, beaten, shipwrecked, and this is God's anointed, right? This is his, this is his favorite. He's bringing the truth of Jesus Christ to us. Without Paul, we probably don't know about Jesus. I mean, this is an important one. You would think that an all-knowing, all-loving God would surround Paul with a bubble of protection as he rolls through the earth, just telling people about Jesus. And as the fiery darts come, it's like, ping, ping, just bopping off him. You would think that, right? Because that would be smart on God's end. Preserve this one. He's special. Here's the problem that we don't like to talk about. Jesus said, okay, Satan, you have your way for a little bit. You will have troubles in this earth, he says in John 16, He has never, ever said, the moment you come into me, your life is good. Life continues on being crappy with or without Jesus. That's the reality. You ever know people that don't know Jesus? Their life is crappy too. Okay? That's it. Here's the difference. What Paul is saying here is not I've come to understand. I can do everything, you guys, who gives me strength. He says, no, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chains, I will take a knee and I will say, your word grounds me. Your hope grounds me. The future of seeing your face grounds me. The reward of serving Jesus is Jesus. Not our life being changed. It is our hearts being changed and understand. And please hear me. This is not a message to you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just keep going. If you know anything about me, that is so not me. I want to sit with you. You got a problem? I'm like, let's talk about it. I'm with you in it. Let's grieve. I wrote a whole book on grieving. It's a whole chapter in one of my books. Like the, church, the first line, the church doesn't know how to teach grieving. <laughs> Churches aren't buying it. It's weird. We've got to learn how to grieve. We've got to learn how to sin. And this is not what God's asking you to do. He's not asking you to forget what you're doing. He's not asking you to ignore or stuff what's going on. He's saying, no, bring it to me through prayer and supplication. Make your request known to me. And it's not change my circumstance, God. If you love me, you would change this. If you love me, you would stop this. He goes, I'm not doing this. You need me in this. Because this world was never intended for you to put your expectations in it. See, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 13. Brethren, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself, Paul says, as having laid hold of all of this knowledge yet. But one thing I do, I must forget what lies behind me and reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, my future, what I see, what I focus on is that this world is not my home. 
But I am here until the day God asks me to come home. I am here, and while I am here, I will lay hold of one truth. I am not who I am. I am not what people have said about me. I am not my circumstances. I am not defined by my children's behavior. I am defined by the upward call of Christ and what he has called me to be and do and is a child of God, and that is my hope. If we place our hope in our circumstances, we will be hopeless. That's the gift that you've been offered. The gift you have been offered is not a perfect life. The gift you have been offered is the peace that calms your heart and your mind in the midst of incredible trial. He gives you the power to endure. He gives you the power that when the world is spinning, you will stay grounded. And you can weep and you can cry and you can call out to God. He is with you in the midst of that. But dear brothers and sisters, don't let the enemy have you focus on the things you can't control. Have you focus on God has forsaken you or he would have fixed this. God has forsaken you or your kids would look better. God has forsaken you or your marriage would be better. God has forsaken you or you would be able to stop that addiction right now. That is a lie. God is with you in it and he's working and you are learning just like Paul to start applying whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's pure. I'm going to think on these things. And it's not like, you know, thank you for the trees. No, it's God is right. God is pure. God is with me. God will never leave me and he will never forsake me. You go, I feel forsaken, Carrie. So that is not from God. You are not forsaken because the moment you step into Jesus Christ, that home is yours to lock in. But it is up to you to allow Jesus to come into that place, to ask him to come in, to renew your mind. Our expectations cannot be on this broken world. I remember about two years ago, I might have shared this with some of you, but I'm going to share it again. <laughs> My husband walked into our uh, bathroom. He, my husband, um, actually has never interviewed for a job. He just gets plucked from company to company. It was just, just awesome. <laughs> just kept climbing the corporate ladder, and, and we were always just like, we're making so much money. I remember my husband one time said, I feel like someone's going to walk into the office and be like, hey, we found out you're not really good for this job. You've been faking it the whole time. But alas, that never happened. <laughs> and we just kept climbing. We were doing really well financially. And my husband came in to the bathroom, and this was two years ago, and he said, I lost my job. And it like took the wind out of me. What? And instantly I started thinking, oh, you'll get another job. It's going to be no problem. But the, the, the lack of control and the fear started to overwhelm me. I went into my room, make a long story short, I went into my room and I started weeping. I needed to be by myself. And the fear just started overtaking me. And I knew I got to go before the Lord with this or this is going to take me out. So I started praying and the Lord just started ministering to me. And it was such a beautiful moment. Then came the whole year where he never got one interview. Then came the year where we had no income except for our savings. Then came December when I'm sitting online, someone who gave benevolently to our church, not just tithing, I was benevolent fund. 
Okay, I was a good Christian. Not only that, but I had started the freedom movement that I run, an organization that I was helping fund. We were doing good things for Jesus. I was serving God like he asked me to do. How dare you take his job away? We're good Christians. And I'm sitting online as I'm filling out subsidized care and needing someone else to help me buy milk for my family. Where are you, God, in this? And I was angry. And I remember over that course of the year, do you trust me? No, I don't trust you. Okay, it's okay. But I knew if I sit in this too long and I sit in the victimness of this too long and I don't start to change my perspective, this is going to take me out. I started realizing how much I care about money. I started realizing how much I cared about status. I started realizing how much I try to fix things in my life that I cannot fix. And the tornado was spinning and I was terrified. You see, men crave significance and women crave security in the deep of who we are. And my husband's significance had gone out the window and my security was gone. And we were frazzled, devastated. The following year, no job. But what God was doing was growing in my husband and me this depth of understanding that I have learned to live with a little and I have learned to live with a lot. And that's small when it comes to finances. It's pretty painful when it comes to the loss of your child, the infertility, the marriage, the parent, the diagnosis, the weight you just can't lose, the weight you just can't gain. It's really, really hard when it's that. There's an incredible story many of you know about a man, I can't remember his name, I should know it because it would make me more, you know, this would make this illustration better, honestly, but I don't remember his name. And he's the man that wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. Here's a man who goes, wife goes on a, a, a trip. He didn't, wasn't able to make it. They're on a boat ride, is sailing across the ocean. Most of you have heard this story. And they hit another ship. This, this, their ship hits another ship. And they said there's accounts where the mom takes the kids to the front of the boat. And uh, people were watching this happen. There was only a few survivors. And she kneels down on the front of the boat with her four children. And she cries and says, we need to pray. That is not. That is not me in that story. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's Titanic. You know, I'd be freaking out. She goes to the front. She kneels down. She prays with her kids. Lord Jesus, be with us. Let your will be done. Her four kids end up drowning in that ship. She survives. And the only text, she finally gets to land and she texts her husband. She said, all of them are gone. What do I do? He gets on a ship, and he's going to see her, and the, the, the captain of the ship brings him over, and he says, I don't know if you want to know this, but this was right where your kids died. And he writes this song, It is well with my soul. How do you get to that place? How do you get to that place when you've lost your four children and you're about to go minister to your broken, hurting wife and write a song, It is well with my soul? Because somehow he learned the secret that it is not what this world can do to me. 
It is what God has done for me that changes everything. It is well with my soul because I know that one day I will see their face and even greater than that, one day I will see my heavenly Father's face. And that peace that surpasses all understanding comes in the midst of tumultuous circumstances and changes your heart. Not your circumstance, but your heart. You want to know Jesus deeper. You want to love him like you hear people write about. Prayer, gratitude, thanksgiving before God, looking what is ahead, and letting go of what's behind. This is my prayer for you, dear brothers and sisters. We're going to have an opportunity for you to come and take communion. This is a time that if you're new here, if you don't know Jesus here, if you love Jesus and you're rocking victory, this is the place where anyone can come and know that our hope lies in the death burial, and resurrection of the one true Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Father and our King. So when you come to this place, don't check a box. Come and lay whatever it is that you have at his feet. He can take your scandal. He can take your pain. He can take your anger. He can take it. He died for it. But go to the source that will bring peace not to the expectations in the circumstance that will leave you longing. This is the place to come. If you have a prayer request, if you need to lay something out, write it on those scrolls and put it in there, and we will pray for you. You are not alone. God is present, ever-present. Understand that Paul was in chains, and he's the most freest man I've ever read about. You can be in prison, too and be free. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you that your message brings life. We thank you that we are not left without hope. We thank you that as a victim mentality starts to creep in and the enemy starts to give us lies, we can change our perspective. Help us, God, to not prepare our life for peace. Help us to be prepared for pain. Help us to be prepared for the pain that will inevitably come that you will meet us in. Prepare us, God, for the pain. Help us not look to the what ifs for peace, but we look to the who, ever present in the midst of pain. Meet us, Lord, in this next few moments, just quietness in our hearts, crying out, singing in worship, maybe just receiving the victory that we're in right now. Meet us in this place, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my shoes are killing me. Don't judge it. Um, I've worn them for three days, and so my shoes are off. Uh, hey, two things. One, if you need prayer, please don't do life alone. Please. God is with you in the moments, but he also made a suitable helper and a friend and a person and tangible hands to hug you and love you and pray with you. So if you need that, and we all do, we have incredible community pastors that aren't just people that we slap a lanyard on, we actually vet them. So they will pray with you and they know how to pray. So go see them. They're over here. They have the orange lanyards on. Hey, if you like what we do here and you want to be a part of it in giving, that would be super awesome. Um, 
And we have giving boxes over there, participation boxes that you can give. Every little bit does help keep this going and what we're doing here that's so special um, going. And, and we need you. It's a partnership and a family, and we all give to the family. So if you feel led to do that, we would love for you to do that. Lastly, I am praying for you that as God prepares you, maybe in the midst of pain or is preparing you for pain, do not look to the what ifs to make you happy. Look to Jesus, guys. Look and let him ground you and be prepared in the midst of that. I am so with you. If you'd stand with me so I can say a blessing over you, not because I'm special, it's just because I have the mic. Let me pray for you, okay? God, I just pray that you'd be with my brothers and sisters today. As I had some opportunity to hear from your word today, maybe some stuff that's hard to hear, maybe some stuff that's freeing to hear, but I pray that every chain and every prison that every one of my sisters or brothers may be in today, that in the midst of the prison, they can be free. Pray that you would reach their heart, that you would reach even beyond their mind and go into their heart and transform the perspective that they are not a victim of their circumstances. They are freed by the circumstance that you created, death, burial, resurrection, and a new name, and a new life, and our hope is in heaven. So I pray that you would be with them this week. Let them take the truth of your word, apply it to their heart, so that they can start to live in the presence of you, Jesus. That's my time to be done, because that was the bell. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and be with God in peace. I love you. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.